I will forewarn you in advance. This is the third service. It got, it was, it was, it was wild in the first. It was wilder in the second. Come on, this is the 12:45 service. Yeah, yeah come on. Filter is off. So, so everybody, repeat this after me. I give you permission to say all the things. I will not be offended. This is church. Amen. Lauren. Hi, everyone. I mean, I think that you all know that you're going to get a little wild today because you gave yourselves a pretty loud round of applause. So it's great. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Um, so what we're going to do today is just kind of see where this conversation takes us. And I just want to take a moment and honor our pastors. Uh, they've been married for nearly 20 years. And uh, yes. And um, I just really appreciate that we're going to get into the why. Not only um, what, but why uh, in these questions regarding relationship. And I just think um, I would have killed when I was a youth or at other points in my life to have had the opportunity to have our pastors who are totally, completely normal people up here and answering questions the way that they're gonna answer for you today. Um, I'm also gonna preface it by saying that uh, we will probably not get through every single question that we could get through. And if that- Erica talks a lot, so. Yeah, mostly Erica, never you. so Everybody knows by now. <laughs> if, uh, if for some reason your specific question was not asked, I would just encourage you. We have a fantastic group of pastors here yep. at The Well who genuinely want to work through these questions with yep. you. So um, don't just remain anonymous on the app and on the questions. Go let them know that you've got something that you want to work through. Good? All right. So in addition to the questions that we already have planned that we're going to attempt to work through, we'll get through some of them for sure, um, there's going to be a number up on the screen, and we're also going to allow you to send in live questions. Um, I will do my best to pepper those in as much as possible, um, and we'll just see where it goes. Good? All right, so I, I actually made up my own question for the, for the first one. Um, so you guys have been near, married now for nearly 20 years. So what is it that you are doing or that you want to change in your marriage to help prepare you for the next 10 to 20 years? That's a great question. <laughs> what are we doing now and what would we change? So we... Um, We've started talking a lot about this next decade, for one, that's been a conversation in our house for the next, the next 10 years, as well as realizing that we've probably got a good solid 20 years of us left ministry-wise to uh, lead our family, uh, lead each other, and lead this church forward. So right now, the thing that we're asking the most for from God is wisdom, discernment, and discretion. Uh, the world, how many of you get agree, would agree with me, it seems like it's getting harder right now. And uh, we know that the enemy would love to put a wedge in between us as we fight for the future, as we fight for our kids and we fight for the church. And so for us right now, we're actually drawing closer to each other. We're working on a lot of things. We've talked about this before, but um, we go to a counselor, we've got pastors and peers and leaders in our, in our lives. So we're doing everything that we can to sharpen, the, to, to sharpen who we are as individuals and to sharpen who we are as a married couple. And two, we're focusing on our kids. Um, we're in a new season with our kids as they become teenagers. We're really having to dive into that section. Like what does it mean to, to lead our son well, our teenage son well? And, and our soon-to-be teenage daughter, our five-year-old's easy. She's just like a crazy teddy bear right now. But um, 
but those, those two teenagers as well, like we're getting older. And uh, so I, I think it's just changing kind of the disposition of who we are and that's flushing itself out in our marriage. Yeah, and I think uh, for things that we're working on, or I, I wouldn't say like we want to change because we're always aware of what we want to change. So we're always in the middle of changing, if that makes sense. Um, but is just that we have to remember that we change over time, right? Like as people, if we're growing in Christ, then our passions and our pursuits change with that, right? So I think giving each other permission and room to keep developing and changing and and growing um, and not like, not one thing we don't do is we don't bring up like the past. This is how you were, like, so this is how you are. We give each other room to change and to grow. So I think... That's something we're always doing, so I think we will keep just doing that and and keep encouraging each other's desires and hopes and helping each other see uh, the fullness of God come out of them so in their race. Plus, she's getting finer, it's, so it's a lot easier. Like, it's like, girl! <laughs> um, okay, so what do you think is the greatest lesson that has helped build you to the point that you are now in your marriage, like a challenge that you've had to overcome or a place that you've had to reconcile in your marriage? What, what do you feel like that would be? We watch people and we learn from them, good or bad. We learn what we do not like and we learn what we like and we apply those things to our marriage so, and to our life and to our ministry. So we've learned from pastors and leaders. We've been under people that were like, ah, I wouldn't do that that way. Let's do this this way and try this out. And then other times we've looked back and go, oh, I realized why they did that that way. Actually, that was healthy. And, you know, so we've learned on our own. Um, but I think that's one thing is we always watch and learn and grow and are kind of like paying attention to what can apply to our life to make it more fruitful and better. And obviously reading our Bible a lot. And I would say too, uh, I would I think every relationship's different, especially marriage. Every marriage is different, so we go through different seasons at different times. Some people have really hard moments, maybe in the beginning of their marriage. Uh, we had a pretty like uh, it was smooth sailing for the first little while in our marriage. Um, for seven years, seventh year, yeah, was something. seventh year was. I don't remember woo, moving come to on Utah, somebody. Um, a yeah, planning church a church, hurt. kids, all, all the stuff, and uh, and then. The past couple years, with the climate that we've been in, the changes that have taken place, the growth of the church, all of the pressure that's come, um, personal circumstances that have been insanely heavy, um, that those of you who are close with us have, have walked through, uh, in those challenging moments, her and I, uh, instead of fighting each other, fighting for each other. And that's changed the game. I, I would actually say that the past three years of our marriage has been some of the deepest work that we've done in our marriage. We've done other deep moments of work, but this three years, we had to dig deep. We had to go for it. I, I think if there was a moment that could have really rocked our marriage, it was these past couple of years that we've walked through. Many, like, you guys are close with us. Um, it could have derailed us. It could have taken us out. But we just decided in that moment that we were not going to fight each other. We're going to fight for each other. And that was a game changer for us. So, yeah, so, so we put up boundaries to protect, e to protect our house and our yeah, homes. Yeah, we did. So good. You know, like that was one thing I was gonna say earlier is like, we have been okay saying no. Like sometimes y'all invite us to, please don't stop inviting us. We like, we get offended if we're not invited, but we don't, but we also will probably say no. So like, <laughs> oh, we can't do that. It's on Saturday, that's our Sabbath. So we do, we are okay with drawing boundaries that protect us for the long haul. 
where we just know that we can't give everything to everyone that's physically impossible. So that really has been something that continues to protect and uh, our like garden, our marriage garden yeah, and our family okay. garden. Boundaries can be so helpful. Yep. They're not just bad. They actually help us operate more freely for sure. Um, so you talked a little bit about counseling. So there's a question about um, how have you allowed, I'm going to expand on it. How have you allowed counseling to help you in your marriage and personally? And how, uh, I think it's really important actually to talk about how you chose your counselors yep. because not respectfully, all counselors aren't created equally. Um, <clears throat> so um, how does that work for you? How frequently do you go? Do you go as a couple? Do you go as individuals? Talk about that. Yep. Go for it. Okay, I'll go for it. Um, so Erica probably has a different opinion about it. She doesn't see our counselor as much as I see her. I'm more messed either. up than her. Um, so, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I am, I'm a big verbal processor. And so I'm just talking with a lot of the guy, like a lot of my uh, pastor friends uh, that, that see counselors as well. It's become a really great place for me to just be able to process things to get it out. So this is, this is the type of person that I am. If I can verbally process it and get it out, then I can move on past it. The problem is, is if I verbally process everything with her, once I get it out, it's on her, and then I move past it and she's carrying it. Does that make sense? So it actually became a place where I can just like, I can word vomit things and go through, like I've said hard things in my counselor, hard things that I wouldn't want to utter out loud, but my counselor is a place to be able to do that and then she can speak into those things. She is out of state, so that's a really, really big, uh, big deal for us. Uh, so she's on Zoom since we can't go to her. She's works with a lot of pastors, so she understands our unique space that we're in as pastors and leaders. Um, but for me, I've been able to process a lot of different things um, with my counselor and she specifically works on the health, the, the mental part of that reality, okay? Where I'll go to pastors and leaders to help me with other things, people like sages in my life, pastors who are, who are older than me to speak to where there's that really strong spiritual dynamic of it. But other things like when, when I lost my brother last year, like that's a big thing for like my counselor to be able to help process through or stuff's coming up or the pressures of, of minute, like I can, she deals with the health, the things that she's trained to do as a counselor and a therapist. And so I'm a huge advocate for that. She is a Christ follower. She works with pastors. She's older than I am by probably 30 years. Um, so all of that goes into play with how I chose or how we chose that counselor. And also if you go to a counselor and all you do is talk and they don't talk and they don't ask challenging questions and they don't lead you somewhere, you're not going to a counselor. You're paying someone to listen to you. And that is not gonna like help you in the long haul. And I think that is one thing we get frustrated with even locally. We don't have a lot of options in Utah as far as counseling goes. So sometimes you do have to like be okay with getting on Zoom with someone far away that maybe a friend recommended or something that allows you to get challenged out of your situation. Like listen, but also take me somewhere. And so I think that's why I don't always like see our counselor because I, I'm more like, I don't need to verbally process, so I actually get anxious about seeing the counselor because I feel like, what am I gonna talk to her about? Like, I get stressed about it. <laughs> so for me, it's like, I, I just process differently. So sometimes it's actually not as helpful, and then other times it's like, helpful. And we don't actually see her together because uh, we just, I will say we just communicate pretty well, and so we can usually work things out between us. There's been like one time we called her for an emergency and it had to do with work, church. 
Can right. I say this one thing really yeah. quick about the counselor? Oh, yeah. If you're going to go look for a counselor, um, I actually peppered, uh, we weren't in the meeting together, I peppered the counselor with uh, views on orthodoxy, doctrine, and theology yeah. as well. Yeah, biblical I, views is what they have to Yeah, they you. have to have biblical views. This if is we, where they should be talking from. Yep, if they differ from me on those things, then I don't want them speaking to my life in these areas. Bottom line. So for me, I need to make sure that she lines up with my theology and doctrine. And we've had those conversations, great conversations about that. So now I can trust her being in my stuff because I can't trust you being in my stuff if you and I differ on all kinds of different things theologically and doctrinally, or you don't have that space at all. And then you're just offering me a bunch of things that don't make sense anyways. Does that make sense? So that's a really big deal. I think so. a good thing to know is your spouse cannot be all things to you. So obviously, like, God is there. You know, you have God. You can pray and all those things. But you sometimes need a physical presence that can really help you process things. And to put the weight on your spouse of that being the person that has to. Like, in the three years that Jason's talking about, there were moments where I was like, if you lay one more thing on me, I will shatter. Like, I won't be able to go any farther. And so for my health, I need you to go talk to someone else. You can go talk to your best friend. You can go talk to another pastor. You can go talk to the counselor. But I cannot be the one that carries that thing for you. I can't pick up that offense with you. I can't, you know, I had to know my, so we have to assess where we're at a lot of times too when we're working together as a couple. Hey, this isn't something I can carry with you. I'm going to need you to go talk to that person. I'll be praying for you. And I know you, and for me, I can trust that he's going to figure that out. Right, I can trust that he's not going to just like, like leave it and mope around. Like nobody can help me because he's. I'm not everything to him either. I love that. Um, all right, so we're going to ask one more question, kind of in the same vein of marriage and relationships. And I actually really appreciate whoever sent this question in. Um, so, what are your relationships like with the opposite sex in terms of keeping boundaries? We don't have very many relationships with the opposite sex. Like we have our close friends, but like I'm only as close to the guys that he's uh, in relationship with as he is, if that makes sense. But we don't like hang out outside of him ever. And I actually just heard this uh, um, someone, because we're talking a lot about uh, accusations and how easily they can come up and people can literally accuse you of anything anymore and it literally, you know, that's the thing. Like, you can make up any kind of lie, and people will believe it. Uh, in our Twitterverse world, that we just say 140 characters, and we're like, just hung someone. You know, essentially, that sounds terrible, but that's what it feels like. So, in our world, it's like uh, someone recommended that we they never text uh, the opposite sex without the person on the chain, their spouse on the chain. And I was like, gosh, we might apply that to our life because then that way we have just another way. And that might sound extreme to you, but honestly, in our generation, it's not. Like it's extreme measures is what we do to protect each other, so. And there's, so on my end of things, there are very few females that I meet with independently by myself and they would probably actually be in this room and they're mainly under staff or staff spouses. That would be it. And if a female is in my office uh, and it's just me or her, it's in the middle of the day. There's plenty of people around. Pastor Sarah's been around where I'm like, hey, are you going to be around? Uh, so doors are cracked open. We have windows on all of our office doors um, in our in our offices. So that so there's just measures of protection. Um, but honestly, if you were to if you were to try to re if you were a female outside of our staff and staff spouses and tried to get a meeting with me on our own, it probably wouldn't happen. 
or there would need to be somebody in the room or yeah. we're together. Um, we just protect that space a lot. Um, not, and again, we can think negative is like, does that, does that mean there's something weird going on? No, we're just crazy protective about it. Um, we just do not give space for anything uh, to, to be going on. And it's the same with like texting and everything like that. Yeah. Ways. Like, I can be just as tempted as he can. So it doesn't, yep. if I feel, like, insecure or something, and I'm like, I need someone to affirm me, and the right, right person affirms you, like, you can easily be in, da- in yep. danger of a, uh, of a relationship that's not supposed to be happening. So it, it goes all the ways. So it's really important to, to do that. And I had something else, but I forgot, so. I'm sorry. That was probably I'll my fault. I'll let you come back to it if you remember. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're going to switch gears and talk about singleness for a second here. Let's go. Um, all right. So there's a couple of questions, and I'm just going to kind of, again, lump them in together because uh, they're all quite similar. But this one says, I'm recently single, and I know that God has a plan for me. My question is, what do I do when I feel in my whole being that that person is the person God wants me to be with? And how do I give them space? to be their friend and help them return closer to God. And then similarly, um, how do you know when you've found the person God has prepared for you? These are great questions. They are good questions. These are good questions. Um, I'll take the one. uh, So Erica and I were actually talking about this the other night about singleness. I actually don't think that God has the one for you. If you, have a, if you want to have a question about this, uh, like a, uh, want to read more about this, that divine sex that I've been talking about does a whole couple chapters on this issue. I th- some in the lobby. Yeah, we got some in the lobby. I think a lot of Christians have been wounded with this thing, that, that God has a specific one. So you're, you're running around looking for the needle in the haystack. And I, I remember in Bible college, uh, this probably shouldn't go online, but I'll say it anyways. Um, I remember in Bible college, uh, there, there was a girl who told me, she's like, God spoke to me, you're the one. And I was like, well, he didn't speak to me. And no, I'm not. Like, and, uh, and so it gets weird. It just really gets weird. So here's the thing, because here's what happens. What we can do so many times is we overlook the people that we can actually be in relationship that are good for our lives for the one. And it's amazing how many times the one isn't even in alignment with God. You're just trying to manipulate the situation to make the one that you're attracted to or this, that, and the other be the one. They don't even love Jesus. They don't even know. You all see what I'm talking about? And then you got like, and then you got like great, great guys or great females like running around here. And you're like, well, where's the, where's, I don't think now, is Erica my one? Yes, 100%. Yes. But for, for me to come to the conclusion and for her to come to the conclusion that I was the one, it wasn't because the Lord spoke. It was because our lives were looking like the way the Lord wanted them to look. And so my life was speaking on behalf of Jesus being involved with. Does that make sense? So there's a very like this, this one thing is ruining a lot of of. of I guess the singles lives in here when you're looking for a relationship, like, cause I can look at great guys in here, great girls in here who like, um, they're, uh, they're, they're sane. That's the first place. Okay. But they love Jesus. They, they, they serve in his house, their character and their integrity is intact. But when we have this thing going on that you're looking for the one, you overlook the three that God actually has in a place for you that you could produce a great relationship with and that he blesses. Okay, I think we need to go ask another question then. That's fine. How do you healthfully date in the church? (laughs) I I almost want to go old school, like seriously, because 
Like, you know, we, we got all, all like, we, we got all weird back in the, like, 80s and 90s with dating, which, but I feel like there's this uh, safety in that weirdness, <laughs> which was, like, courting and, like, hanging out with multiple people at one time and having good boundaries, like, things Jason talked about last week so that you don't, like, you know, hang out in a car late at night together, like, those kinds of things. Honestly, I'm not joking. When we talk about extreme measures, we're, we're really serious because the call of God on your life is far more important than messing it up for this person that is temporary, you know? And so often they are temporary, <laughs> you know? So I think dating in church is really hard. And it, when you do it right, see, what, what make, what's heartbreaking is when you do it wrong, we know you did it wrong. Because when you break up, neither one of you are here. It's like, who's going to go to church at the well? That place Dang, that we girl, love. you would teach. <laughs> That's when we know it's wrong. We're like, you wouldn't feel that way. If you broke up, if you were dating in a healthy way, and you had said, you know, this isn't working. Yep. We're done. But you know what? We can still remain in relationship. We can still see each other across the, yeah. across the way from each other. We can just be in the same room because we did it in a healthy way. We didn't tie ourselves together physically which is a soul tie thing that we can talk about. Uh, biblical soul ties is a real thing. Like when we get married, the, the two becoming one is a soul tie. And, you know, Paul talks about that regarding, uh, you want to talk about what that? What you are in unity with. What and so he talks about in First Corinthians 6 where he talks about if you come together, if you, if you uh, come together and you unite yourself with a prostitute, right, there's, it's, a, it's a tie. You're, they're coming together because you're united in Christ as well. So you wouldn't go and unite yourself in this way if you're united with Christ. But your temple is a, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of ethic in here in this way. And so many of us are running around tying ourselves to a lot of people. And so what she's saying, especially healthfully in church, if you guys can't look each other in the eye, that means that things were probably not done the right way. Versus being able to amicably go, hey, yeah, like we're just, we're going on different paths and God has different things for us. And because we did our dating relationship right, we actually remained friends. Our friends remained intact and we could celebrate, celebrate each other as they move on into their relational journeys. That, that right there, like you just don't see it that often. But in terms of dating right, I think one of the greatest ways that you can date or figure this thing out as a single is date in groups. Now, I know that sounds in our modern world because we're all independent, we're all these different things. Um, it, it's working for us so well. Um, <laughs> Dating in groups sounds dating in groups sounds like like old school and so on. It's like so ancient and everything like that. You know what I've found is in groups you can really you actually learn more about people in groups than you do one on one at a coffee shop, right? Because they can lie to you. Oh my gosh, they do lie. Right, but in a group when you watch when everybody's, you watch him, everybody's like. Uh, I don't even know what they're called anymore, like Christian Mingle. Yeah. Like, what, what are our, our sites these days? I don't know. They change all the time. Bumble or something. That might have been from a movie. But they're all, they're all just giving you, it's like, it's Instagram. It's giving you the best highlighted version of what they might be, but actually just wish they were, you right. know? <laughs> like. So, and funny enough, you mentioned in Divine Sex, he talks about this. Um, you know dating sites? I'm not against dating sites, but you need to think about this for just a second. This was profound. Their whole, their, their whole application is to make money. Can we all agree on that? You guys sound like you're doubting me when I say this. How many of you agree with me that a dating site's point is to make money? Yeah. 
Some of you are like, I don't want to, four of you agree with me. Okay, let's just try this again. We live in, in, in capitalism. Okay, a dating, they don't have Cupid sitting in the back with this altruistic view hoping that Joe gets a girl. Okay, they got some algorithms, but if you study, like, and so this whole divine sex book talks about this, if you study it out, their algorithm leaves certain things out because here's their end goal. Their end goal is to make sure you come back. Just like Instagram, just like Facebook, they want you to come back. So there's things missing from the equation. You can study it. This is, this is not Bible. This is just math, okay? Why? Because they don't make money if you get married. Funny enough, there's another study that was done is that people who have gotten married through dating sites, if they don't delete all that stuff and walk away from it, when they find out they're married, they actually pepper you with more advertisements for a dating site so they can click into the issue that we have in this generation, which is FOMO. Just go read the statistics. It's wild. It's in that divine sex book. So what they're trying to do is they actually need you to come back. So if we can work at getting you divorced because you saw something else that I missed on, then we're going to get you back. It's money. Simple as that. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just, it's just money. So anyways, that's a, that's a long bunny trail to get to this place where I think you should date in groups. Well, just be slow. It'd be okay with taking yeah. it slow. Everything in our world is so fast. And you just want it now so bad. Well, if you want it now that bad, you first of all need to go reassess your why. Mm-hmm. I'll give you some tips, okay, for, your, for our singles. And for those who are divorced yeah. and want to single, uh, want not be single anymore, want to find somebody, all of that. But if you are dating, ready to date, okay, mm-hmm. here's how you know if you're ready to date. Ready? Okay, first of all, assess where things went wrong the first time. Most all of us have been in some kind of relationship. So assess where things went wrong. And if you are a, are, were divorced or are divorced, like, ask God to search your heart and allow you to see where you went wrong and repent. Repentance is key to the success of our relationships yeah. between us and Jesus and between us and humanity, okay? Repentance is key for this thing to stay open to communication. Repentance is key for me and my daughter to have a relationship when I go wrong as a mom, which happens, when I say the wrong thing, when I get angry, when I blow up, when I say hurtful things, like repentance is the only thing that is gonna restore and keep that relationship open. Yep. We have to be willing to go backwards and say, God, what did I do? Where did I miss this? What does the Bible say about this? So that's the second point. Get a biblical framework for yep. your singleness. Yep. A biblical, 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 the Bible. Biblical. Most of you in here don't even believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. That's where the problem starts. If you don't believe this thing is the authoritative word of God, you are like, it, it, you're, you're building your foundation on sand. So every relationship you build is on sand because you have no authoritative conviction that you can say, this is the word, I can stand on this conviction and I cannot be shaken. So when you have a biblical worldview as a single person, you're not out there trying to find the one. You're not out there trying to figure it out. You're out there living your best life, honoring God with your life, expanding your relationships, getting to know people, producing gospel-centered relationships, like bringing people to the gospel through your singleness. So getting a biblical framework for your singleness is necessary and then being content in your singleness. Like Jason says that there's not like necessarily one for you, but I would add to that, that when you are running the race of Jesus, the one will like, the one, not the one, but 
people who are running that same race will show up alongside of you. So it won't be that hard to figure out. Well, could I mesh with this person? Are they chasing God the same as me? Yes, because they're running beside you, you know? Um, the third thing is, as you feel led to date, do so with healthy boundaries, which we kind of talked about, and in God-honoring ways, in the same way that we would encourage you as any single person and any marriage, do your life as unto God. And when you're doing it that way, you're not likely to go very wrong, okay? When we think about how we honor God in our marriage and how we honor God with our parenting, how we honor God with our singleness, how we honor God in our friendships, we're gonna do life right, okay? And God's gonna be honored. And then fourth, as a single person, do not date someone who isn't running the same God race as you, okay? So do you wanna get into unequal yokedness? Well, or do you have another question? I think I have another question. So okay. there, in the last uh, two services, particularly service number two, we talked a lot about the being equally yoked. So um, I would just encourage you to get online and yeah. watch that because they did a fantastic job of answering that particular question at that time. So um, I wanna go a little bit different direction, continuing in this lane of singleness. So um, let's say that you were in a, a relationship at a different point in your life and maybe not walking with the Lord and made some um, decisions that included sexual immorality or um, being sexually active with someone outside the confines of marriage. What does it look like to then try to find reconciliation in that and health in that so that you can move forward with a future spouse? Absolutely. So first and foremost, this is where the grace and forgiveness of God comes into play. Okay. So the, it, it's not, it's not that shame needs to be carried. It's not that guilt needs to be carried where there's repentance and, and, and what Erica's talking about is it's interesting is that many of us try to come and we try to get free of things that we're unwilling to repent of. Does that, does that make sense? Can we go old school gospel? Repentance is a part of that. God forgi forgive me. Cause, cause what, what happens so many times, what we see people do so many times is, is we go, I messed up here, but I don't want to deal with me messing up there. So I'm going to just try to make better decisions in here, even though I don't have the framework to make the better decisions. And I'm carrying the shame that I did uh, from the past. And because I'm dealing with the shame and this guilt, now it's like it's, it's deteriorating my soul. So therefore, now I'm making decisions out of the deterioration that's happening in my life. And because of that, I then make bad decisions versus, God, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to repent now. I'm going to deal with this thing now. And I'm going to, I'm going to start digging into what this is. And when I have freedom from it, then I can engage in a relationship and potentially not make the decisions that I did in the past. Does that make sense? So there's two things that happen in our life, in our faith journeys. We either repent or we try to justify what we did. So repentance is the act of coming before God and understanding I am justified by Christ, not trying to justify the behaviors that I did outside of Christ. So then once I get to that place, when I first can go, okay, listen, I had stuff in my past. I've, I've, I've done things in my past. I've had issues in my past. I can come to Jesus. I can find freedom in it. And then I build these things into my life, into my dating experience, into my relationships so that I don't have to repeat the patterns of the past. It's getting quiet in church today. So the problem that many of us are facing is we keep on repeating the things of the past instead of dealing with what's in us. And why do we keep on doing what it is that we are doing? Does, does that make sense, what we're talking about here? So I think that would be 
a really big part of that equation. And then that's where we can have a big old conversation about what does it look like to create boundaries, build boundaries into your dating relationships, physically especially. So. All right, so um, we'll, I'm going to go down the equally yoked route, but a little bit different than what we pre talked about in previous services. So let's say you end up in a marriage where you are not on the same path in regards to faith, but yet now have children. So how do you navigate that, and how do you um, raise your kids in faith when both parents are on the same page? Yeah. I mean, that's the tricky thing about, you know, if you got married unequally yoked, you chose that path, right? Like, if you're a Christ follower and you're choosing to marry a not someone who's not a Christ follower, you chose a path that's very difficult when you get to this situation especially, but just period. There's so many things, like trying not to like, I have relationships in my life who are not Christ followers. There are certain things I can never share with them because like, I can't share with them what God's doing in my life because there's no, like, there's no common ground. So that's an immediate, like gonna be an immediate difficulty in a marriage that is gonna add tension that, you know, that's why this unequally yoked, this, the Bible talking about the unequally yoked is so important because it's like, you think it's like something you can handle I got this, or one day they'll catch up, or whatever. And then you realize, like, nothing's changing, and you chose this. So it's it's devastating, and I think it starts with repentance. It starts with going to God and being like, God, I didn't choose your best for me, period. I chose this, but help make it new, help make it yours, help help to, save, like, protect my children, protect me, and also bring my spouse to you. And so I think that's where we go into 1 Peter 3, where he talks about, he's actually talking to uh, women, particularly in this moment, but a lot of the women in that time had been the first one in the household to come to Jesus. And so he was talking to them and saying, hey, this is how you're gonna get your men to come to Jesus. So when he says, in the same way, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4, in the same way, wives, submit to your husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart it, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So a lot of times women won't even read that verse. One, contextually, they're not reading it in the sense of like, this contextually was referring to people who had men in their home, their husbands were not Christ followers, very likely. So it's not like just be quiet, woman. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter is talking about that our spirit and who we are inside and how we honor God with our lives through our actions is most powerful. We all know how to talk. We don't all know how to behave, you know? And so the reality is Peter's saying, if you behave in this way, it is that spirit that will lead people to redemption. It's that spirit that will lead people to the cross. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. Like the reality is in all of our relationships, whether friendships or dating or marriage, like the reality, no, I wouldn't say dating, but marriage, like we have to be realize that our, our actions speak louder than our words. In your work relationships, all of them, right? So that, that's like a huge point to me that I think helps. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. I keep forgetting your questions because I'm like tired. 
I know. Oh, I'm fading. I've I love you all, but so man, many, I am hungry. It's a lot to be faking. <laughs> you guys have like, no idea. So, what so, was the original question? Yeah, I'm so, so sorry. Did in, I answer in it? In sessions like this, we're having to think on our feet the whole time. Yes. So this is uh, like, it's like, if our eyes are like, we're trying to, let's talk about sex. That'll wake it all up. Come on. All let's right. go. <laughs> okay, I'll ask you another on-the-fly question then. Um, yes. How have you made sure to maintain intimacy in your marriage um, over the last 20 years? That's great. She struggles keeping her hands off of me, so... <laughs> It's hard for her. My current struggle is finding, figuring out, we have not talked about this in the service, correct? So anything I say is not, is new. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. what I feel like. I'm like, yep. did I already say that? I did. Three services ago. Okay, okay. so we, we have to pay attention in every iteration of our relationship. We have to pay attention and have conversation about what intimacy looks like physically because we are aging. So uh, a lot of couples, a lot of couples think that like it just comes down to like, hey, the parts fit, it's great, and it's always the same. No, the parts always fit. It's always the same in that way. Physical is physical, but great sex is based upon communication before it's based upon anything else. So staying intimate with each other, even as we age in our relationship, is about massive degrees of communication. Being able to talk with one another, being able to serve one another, be able to, being able to realize that um, my, my serving her in our relationship on a daily basis is actually what builds a great bedroom. Okay, And a lot of people, don't, they don't talk this way. They think like, oh, like I'm turned on, let's go. But it doesn't work that way. For guys, like we have, we have a little bit easier of a time with that for sure. So like, for instance, I know that I have to serve her in certain, like I have to be, like I submit to her, I serve her, I'm looking out for her all the time. I'm not just going to her when I want sex. Does that make sense? This side's really quiet over here. It's always this side. This is the this is the talkers. All right. So, what I'm constantly so because here's the deal. Like, for her, how I honor her during the day, how I speak to her, the things that I do. That's all a part of that. Is all a part of what would then be a culmination. She just touches my leg, and it's a totally different story. <laughs> right. So we have, to, we have to serve each other in different ways. Now, when we were younger, when we were a brand new couple, like first married, not so hard. It was just like, let's go, okay? But as, we, as we've, we're almost 20 years into marriage, three kids, pressure, work, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, long days, like that changes the game. It changes the game. And so you have to be intentional before you have to be intentional throughout the day, which makes it more work, which makes it sacrificial. Husbands, I want to say this to us. We have been called to love our wives in this way, Ephesians tells us, as Christ loved the church. That is the measure of our love. And how did Christ love the church? Sacrificially to death. He gave his life. Come on, somebody. And so at the end of the day, I've got to make sure that I'm constantly getting what revs her up is when I'm giving my life. And then the act of lovemaking becomes worship. Now, for some of us who don't have a biblical framework on this, this could be a weird conversation, but it's not just lovemaking, it's worship unto God. Two bodies, two people, 
who have given ourselves first to the Lord and then secondarily to each other in purity and in vulnerability and keeping this space our space, the culmination of our communicative relationship, uh, the things that we do, our parenting, all that, that actually becomes worship unto the Lord. She said this in the first service. I thought it was brilliant. She's never said this before. It's actually not love making, but it's spiritual warfare. Yeah. Come on, somebody. And so... I think that's how, and then over the years, different iterations of our marriage, we've just had to talk about things differently. Um, we said this in the last service for, uh, well, I won't get into that right now. We've just had to, we've had to talk about things well, differently. Well, constant communication. Right. So your seasons change all the time. So you could change a job, that's a change of season. You could move your house, change of season. You could have a financial stress, change of season. Like you literally need to be talking all the time because these things affect our intimacy. They affect our, our ability to be vulnerable. And so we got to realize like, oh, the weight you're carrying is affecting your ability to be vulnerable right now. A, um, a like uh, indiscretion within your marriage, that's going to affect your intimacy. Right. So if you have this expectation of like, yeah, I just did this wrong, but now I still expect you to show up for me. Like, no, you just broke the vul vulnerability that was supposed to be safe between two people. Yep. So I think that the reality is like that that's a whole other thing on its own. But in every season that's changing, we have to just be patient with each other. We have to not take offense to what we aren't getting. We have to be willing to talk about it and talk it out and, and, and fight it out sometimes and just really communicate. Well, this is really hard for me because I had three babies and I'm just like, my body's tired. Like, I just... <laughs> Isn't that enough to say, you know, like, and, and sometimes it's like, well, things are really stressful. So, you know, I just need this release, you know. And so we have to just be okay with having those conversations and not take offense that one or the other isn't showing up and isn't doing their duty. First uh, Corinthians 7, 2 through 6 says this, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer. I don't see many of you just sitting in your prayer closet for 24 <laughs> hours a day. So that means we're probably making love, okay? <laughs> so then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So this is the reality. The Bible already, it's like God already knows. Like we have issues with our self-control. Right. So intimacy with each other is going to help that. That's where I say it's spiritual warfare. Yep. You are literally saying, I'm contending for you as my husband or I'm yeah. contending you as my wife so that you do not, you don't feel tempted for anything else but me. And that's not temptation. That's the beauty of marriage. Yeah, it's protective. Yes. Sex was in the context of marriage. It's protective. Yep. It's protective. A few things to note. Sex is not a reward. Sex is not a demand. So Paul would go on to say, I say this as a concession, not a command. Okay? So when we go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 7 and say, like, your body's mine. No, that is not what Paul said. Paul said, essentially, like, we are responsible for each other. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. But that doesn't mean we get to abuse it. Yep. It doesn't mean we get to demand things from right. each other. And, and, and pause there. This is really important, too, because what happens so many times. So many words. I know, so, so many words, but <laughs> I, it's, it's good things. Um, what can happen so many times is the drive that one or the other has towards the other person isn't built off of pure motives. It's built off of impure motives. Yeah. Right? So the desire from sex is being driven from the porn stuff that's happening every day. Or the movies that are being watched, or the novels that are being read. 
And porn's not just a male issue, it's a female issue as well. So th that's the motive as well. We gotta pay attention to motive matters at the end of the day. So if a husband and wife are serving each other, it is not serving if you're trying to fill a desire in you that it's been created because of a deviancy three hours earlier. Is, is anybody with me in church today, okay? This is a really big deal because we're like, like we've sat in meetings with people and it's like, like she's like, I'm struggling with having sex with them and he's like, she won't, and, and I don't, I, I wanna have sex with them, everything like that. And then I've gotta ask the question like, well, what's going on? And then you find out that there's this massive addiction, this massive thing going on in the background. And it's like, well, no wonder there's a, a wall. Y'all see what I'm talking about? So the reception, it's called love making not desire fulfillment. This is called love making, not abatement of flesh. Your spouse is not the tool necessary to abate the flesh. Your spouse is the helpmate that's been brought into your life to which you serve with your body and vice versa. Very Two very different issues. One is worship, one is deviancy. Yeah, so good. All right, let's land the plane with this question. We're gonna speak specifically to our teenagers. And now... You are single, at least I hope you are. Yes. Um, <laughs> so what Until they're 32. <laughs> what advice do you have to teenagers for dating and being in a relationship? I mean, I tell my son this all the time. He's 12, and he, I hope he won't hate me for saying this, but he's not here, so that's his fault. Um, <laughs> but he has lots of crushes, you know, and I tell him all the time, like, you can tell me about your crush, but you don't need to be telling them. He's really bad at this, though. He really loves cultivating little relationships. And I'm like, what are you gonna do with it? Can you get married? He's like, nope. I'm like, then what are you gonna do with it? You can't do anything with it. So frankly, even though we dated really young and I would just never recommend yeah. it because you just can only, it, it, it's a, frankly, it's the same thing Paul is saying essentially is time just gives us more temptation. So the longer time you're with someone, the more temptation, unless it's in a marriage covenant, right? So for my teen, I'm like, honestly, I don't know if I will, I don't know what I'm gonna do when they're 16 yeah. and genuinely have an interest that they could actually cultivate. I might be like, you know, let's just pause on that. We can't do anything about it right now. You're not ready to get married. You can't pay bill, your own bills, <laughs> you know? Like, so I do think there is yeah. like some protection from parents that we need to add and be okay with being like, yes, that is what the world's doing but we're not in the world, right? We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're gonna do things differently. So also being unapologetic of like, yes, every child has an iPhone. I don't care, you will never have an iPhone. Like as long as you frankly live in my house, you'll yeah. not have an iPhone. And so it's just being okay. And I'm not judging anyone who does, just so you know. These are just the rules that we're realizing that in order to protect my child's mind and heart and soul, which are far more important than anything you can do in five minutes on a phone, I'm gonna do that every day, thousand times on Sunday, you know? So I just would encourage like as a teenager, it's what you want. Like it's a desire of all of our hearts to have quality relationships. It's a desire of our hearts to be loved and to love someone. That is absolutely normal and healthy and a part of our God-given design to be in relationship. But in right timing, it's going to be so much more incredible than in wrong timing where you end up making mistakes that you gotta go back and ask God for forgiveness for. You gotta go back and mend. You gotta realize that now that can never be given back to you. So just realizing like we, we did it, we practiced it, we tried it. It was terrible. Like we broke up like 18 times. It was so dramatic. I would never recommend it to anyone. 
So we just say 32. Wait till you're 32. 32. Your brain isn't even developed as a male until you're 25. So Correct. frankly, none of you are adults yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And, and, uh, and I think it actually parlays. It's not just, I would actually give teenagers the same advice that I'd give singles right now. Um, let's be very clear in church today. What Erica just said. Uh, we are all wired and designed for relationship. So please don't hear something that we're not saying. Relationship is amazing. We're supposed to be in relationship. We've been designed that way. Feelings, emotions, so on and so forth. But um, I don't know how many of you ever have built a fire before, but you know how it's got a small ember at the bottom unless you're using accelerant, right? Which is so much fun. Um, but what do you have to do? You gotta blow on it. <sighs> You're blowing on this ember to try to get it to go. And this is what, this is the dating application and why we try to say to teenagers, you like slow your roll because you're blowing on something that if you blow on it too long and it catches fire, you quickly can't control that thing. And then I would say that to the singles as well. Only we try to blow on it a little bit faster because we're older and we're tired of being single. So no longer blowing on it, we add accelerant. Somebody standing over there, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and that's the way that we should be looking at relationships. Is for teenagers, stop blowing on the embers that are there in the right time. And then for our single young adults, especially college, like the, we're in that space that you're in, stop pouring accelerant on it. Stop trying to get this thing. It's there. It, it will flame at the right time. But we're using these improper tools to make something happen that doesn't need to be happening in the right time. If you're, if you're an older single right now, look at being healed. Look at being whole. Look at figuring out your mind and your heart and who you are. Have a strong identity. And then for the teenagers, it's like, it's kind of pointless right now, honestly. You're blowing on something that you can't control. And so that's what's happening in our generation right now. And so I just, I would encourage that, that direction. And singleness, teenagers or young adults or college-age students, is not a time to figure out whether your body works. It does. It works. <laughs> what feels good and doesn't feel, it feels good. This is what's frustrating me about church conversations is we try to make sex bad and the physicality of it bad. Let's just be very honest as to what we're trying to do in those spaces. We're trying to have the things that we wanna have before we have the covenant that we're supposed to have. And I would say that to this room, we've said it to every single service. So if you're like, well, you know, I'm trying to figure out as a teenager, we're not, we're not asking our teenage, we're not hoping our teenagers to go out and be physical with all these people. They don't need to learn that. Cause I want them to walk into covenant. I want them to walk into marriage, be able to give themselves to the other person in complete and total vulnerability because they don't have all of these other things hanging over it. And I think parents need to just be okay with protecting their kids and yeah. not try to be their friends all the time. Like I had, I had given one person encouragement that like, I actually question whether our kids are actually adults at 18 right now. Just, we feel this pressure from society that like, okay, now they're gonna get free and do their own thing and make all their own decisions, which is true. They can legally do that in some ways, but they can't even drink alcohol until they're 21. So clearly even our society knows that they're not quite ready for certain things. So why is this one thing the thing that we give them the most freedom in? <laughs> to make these decisions in their identity, in their sexuality, in all of these things. We're giving our children these tools and they have no clue. They need people to protect them. 
They do not need permission to just do what they want. They need protection. And so, like, I'm kind of, like, mama-bearing it right now because I'm just, like, I'm done with our kids being our guinea pigs as to what the next generation gets to do with their lives. So we got to be okay with saying, nope, you don't get that. Just because your friends do, you don't. We got to teach our kids. When a friend shows us their phone, we don't, we'd look away because we have no clue what they might have on there. Like your, your parenting is different than my parenting and what you get permission for, I might not. And that, like I have to tell, I have to even be okay with telling a family if they're going to have my kid over, hey, these are the rules in our house. Are you good with them? No? Okay, then they're not coming to your house. Because I'm protecting my child and no one else does. So I also think, too, just, like, be okay with realizing it's our job to protect our kids until they're adults. And by adults, I mean they can make decisions and also have a biblical worldview and conviction. And as a teenager, you got to read your Bible and pray for God to give you Holy, the Holy Spirit who's been gifted to all of us. Yeah. Conviction about the things that we don't know yet. And if you don't know and you don't feel confident in that conviction, then just wait a little longer. Keep asking and keep praying for God to show you. Because our desire is to honor God with our lives. Right? Is that not our desire? So why are we afraid to teach our kids how to honor God with their lives? Why are we afraid to make stands? And why are we afraid to look different and sound different and act different in our society? It's just, this is between me and him. So if I offend you because of my choice and how I do my life, I don't care. I was trying to find a nicer way to say that, but there wasn't. Because it's between me and Jesus. He's the one that judges me at the end of the day. He's the one that says this is the fruit or this was not the fruit of your life. So, okay. So good. Man. Can we just give our pastors a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you guys for your vulnerability. Thank you for tackling these topics. And thanks for just breathing life into our church today. We love you and just appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Can we put our hands together for Lauren? She led that perfectly. Um, stay here with me. So we've taken some extra time today. I don't know how the team's going to throw up all three services because they've been vastly different. Maybe we just put all three of them up um, so you can wade through all the stuff. Um, I want to say this. I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to say this right now. Do not leave this place with shame on you, but leave this place with shame off of you. These conversations, we're being very clear. How many of you appreciate clarity right now? Like, we, we need clarity, okay? So, but never mistake clarity for shame. And I think that's what can happen sometimes. We got into it in the last service. Like our personalities are just, we're like straightforward in our personalities. Like you're just not gonna get a lot of fluff around things because we're living in a generation right now that needs grand clarity. So we don't want you guys to walk away going like, well, do they, what do they think about? Like, no, it's pretty, it's pretty clear what we think about things. Um, but more importantly, I don't care what we, th I, we wanna make sure that you know what this says. So in every service, if you, if you don't believe me on these things, go to, go to your word, ask all the questions in the world. We will lovingly sit with you and, and, and do that. But I wanna say to us today, across all of our services, we've said this, don't allow shame to be on you. Some of us are learning. Some of us are new to this. Some of us are coming from really hard backgrounds and backdrops. 
Some of us have made mistakes. There's a difference between mistakes and rebellion. We said that last week. And so as we process through all this, as we journey through all of this, we want to make sure that freedom's being found in this place. But we do believe that the greatest degree of freedom that you and I will ever find is in and through his word, in and through his counsel. And I will say this, as, as your pastor, the sexual ethic, our marriages, our identities, our gender, the Bible has something to say about it and the bar is very high. Come on, somebody, I said the bar is very high. There, there is a standard. Come on, there is a standard to which God says this is what it is. And I'm telling you, if we can live this out, our marriages will be healthier, our churches will be healthier, our families will be healthier, our society will be healthier, culture will be healthier. And if we could take what's happening in here and bring it out into the world around us, man, it'll be so much better. So today I wanna pray for you. And I wanna pray that first and foremost, shame would be off of us. For those of us in this room today who've experienced things, gone through things, Right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that shame would be broken, that guilt would be broken. And he does it right now in this moment, in this instant. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no matter what your background is, no matter the space that you're coming from, shame off of you in Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, there's one more piece to this equation that's really important. All of this rises and falls first and foremost on the one who is leading your life. And the question I wanna ask you today is, is it Jesus? Is he the Lord and leader of your life? We're gonna pray a prayer right now all together. Many of us have prayed this prayer before, but maybe some of us in this room have never said yes to Jesus. And so I wanna invite everybody today to pray this prayer with us, especially if you're saying, man, I wanna say yes to Jesus. So come on, as loud as you possibly can, would you just repeat this after me so we don't leave anybody out? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I am making you Lord and I am making you leader of my life in Jesus' mighty name.